Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Worst Year Ever, a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome to the Worst Year Ever. We'll get through it together or not. Everything is so dumb, dumb, dumb. going on welcome to the worst year ever i'm gonna do it again no no <laughs> no no, 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 no. Cody, we, we, i was still reacting to our... the 15 pages you just quoted i'm just letting we you know our... do not cut that daniel that <laughs> yeah, was amazing no, in no way that is our legally mandated only introduction from now on you can't redo that cody i'm sorry we don't there's no editing good. in podcasting good i didn't we're, think we're, there there's was. no fucking editing in podcasting what is, what is this podcast we're doing? Uh, it's called Worst Year Ever. We're the podcast that you're listening to. My name is Cody Johnston. We're going to say our names. Katie Stoll is mine. Katie St- Robert Evans. That's is correct. Yeah. Me. We did it. Oh, man. This is, we, got oh, our, we got our names out. I, I, I mistake myself for Katie regularly because I use her driver's license. Yeah. So, oh, <laughs> oh that's up. where it's been. <laughs> yeah. I've just been, uh, I had to get a fake one off mm-hmm. the black market. You, um, you might be in trouble in Nevada. Okay. Well, you know what? I never go to Nevada. So yeah. you guys can, if we ever have to go to Nevada for this uh, show, you guys can go without me. Oh, just don't I'm sorry. use my ID, Robert. <laughs> All right. Well. Also, I pronounce it Nevada, but now you've made me into some <laughs> sort of bad guy just because I'm stealing your identity, which and I feel doing... like is unfair. No, no, Robert, not because of that, but because of whatever you've done with my identity to make me barred from Nevada. Why are you attacking Robert like this? Nevada, yeah, Nevada. What, what the crimes I commit in Nevada are between me and Caesar's Palace. Tomato, tomato. ID, ID. Hey, you know what we're going to talk about today? What? <laughs> uh, For the love of God, who? We're going to talk about Mayor Pete. Buttigieg? Oh, Buttigieg. And uh, I'm actually kind of excited about this because I, 
uh, kind of didn't pay much attention to him. Um, and in looking into his history, his views, his whole his whole deal, I'm actually kind of a huge fan of his now. You're not for serious. Um, yeah. So I I mean I would say I would call myself a, a Pete Brodigedge. Yourselves oh, these days, Cody. Yeah, Cody. Um, no. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, um, no. I'm just saying no to the name. Uh, I, I, I'm bad. ambivalent to to Pete. <laughs> no, no. I'm a I'm a Brodigedge uh, through and through. And so to actually kind of start this out, I wanted to read like a kind of a speech I wrote uh, about him for him, oh, kind God. of like an endorsement. And uh, here we go. Um, I don't know if we can get a little music going. Um, because I, I feel very passionate about this. But. Maybe air horns? That feels more appropriate. Yeah. Keep going throughout your talking? No. <laughs> In this new century, there are a daunting number of important issues which are to be confronted if we are to progress as a nation. Each must be addressed thoroughly and energetically. But in order to accomplish the collective goals of our society, we must first address how we deal with issues. We must re-examine the psychological and political climate of American politics. As it stands, our future is at risk due to a troubling tendency towards cynicism among voters and elected officials. The successful resolution of every issue before us depends on the fundamental question of public integrity. A new attitude has swept American politics. Candidates have discovered that it is easier to be elected by not offending anyone rather than by impressing the voters. Politicians are rushing for the center, careful not to stick their necks out on issues. Most Democrats shy away from the word liberal like a horrid accusation. Just as film producers shoot different endings and let test audiences select the most pleasing, some candidates run test platforms through sample groups to see which is most likely to win before they speak out on a major issue. This disturbing trend reveals cynicism, a double-sided problem, which is perhaps the greatest threat to the continued success of the American political system. Cynical candidates have developed an ability to outgrow their convictions in order to win power. Cynical citizens have given up on the election process, going to the polls at one of the lowest rates in the democratic world. Such an atmosphere inevitably distances our society from its leadership and is thus a fundamental threat to the principles of democracy. It also calls into question what motivates a run for office. In many cases, apparently, only the desire to occupy it. Fortunately for the political process, there remain a number of committed individuals who are steadfast enough in their beliefs to run for office to benefit their fellow Americans. Such people are willing to eschew political and personal comfort and convenience because they believe they can make a difference. One outstanding and inspiring example of such integrity is the country's only independent congressman, Vermont's Bernie Sanders. Bernie's... I'm... Wait, hold on. This... I didn't write this about Pete. Oh, you didn't? No. Huh. this is were you were you plagiarizing Cody? Were you I, trying to pull a Biden? Yeah, I was. I was Bidening around. This is um, wowie. So th- this is the first prize in the John F. Kennedy Presidential Library and Museum's Profiles and Courage Essay Contest from 2000 by Pete Buttigieg. When he was in high school. When he was in high school. When he was in high school. The essay is called Bernie Sanders. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and there's so much wow. more. There's so much more to this uh, this essay of his, and we're gonna get to it. And I- it must be so surreal for him to ha- be running against one of his obvious heroes. Obvious heroes. It's so <laughs> odd. Um, and I, this, yes, I I like what he said about how one of the great problems in politics is that uh, candidates just keep running to the middle and focus testing their messages and are, are terrified to actually take a strong ideological stance because what they really want is to hold the office. Yeah. It would really be heartbreaking if the author of that essay did exactly that. 18 years later. It would be such a, a sad yeah. and, and quick uh, I so downfall. I would be so disappointed. 18 short years 18 later, short years. politicians are rushing for the center, careful not to stick their necks out on issues. Hmm. That's, yeah. Hmm. Anyway. I, I hope this doesn't have anything to do with anything we're going to talk we'll about. We'll find out. Um, no, the things that we say on the show usually don't have anything to do with the things that we say on the show, so. <laughs> no, no, no. So that's... um. That's a fun little essay. There are other essays he wrote um, during this time period. One is <laughs> called Rock the Vote, and it's about post-9-11 music, specifically Dave Matthews' uh, solo album, Some Devil, and Radiohead's Hail to the Chief. It's Very really, cool. It's really funny. Did, uh, you, did, you, did you find an essay from Pete where he, he described all of the other people in his high school as ants marching? <laughs> no, no, not quite. Do you know quite. if he has one of those uh, Dave Matthews Band bumper stickers uh, on his car? We're going to ask him when he's he on calls, this podcast. Right. <laughs> he calls them Dave, Katie. Come on. Okay, the Dave. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, Pete's uh, a complicated guy. Um, and uh, we're going to come back to his essay a little bit later, probably. But let's get into like who he is a little bit. Great. Where he Love comes it. from. I'm actually just going to sort of list off a bunch of things he's done. This okay. is his resume. Okay. And I wonder why I'm saying it like that. Peter Paul Montgomery Buttigieg. That's his full name. <laughs> Peter Paul Montgomery Buttigieg. Wow. I'm sorry. Montgomery? Come on. Yeah, I know. But so he looks the type. This is something uh, to take note of, I think. Uh, just listening to those few paragraphs about Bernie, um, when you listen to what Pete has done, it just really sounds like, uh, oh, yeah, you're like kind of a rich white liberal who grew up in the suburbs and went to, you know, you did all the things to do the politics. He's sounding a lot like, has anybody seen The Politician yet? No. Okay, well, it's first three episodes are very good. Anyway, sounds a lot like that. Continue. Sounds a lot like that, I've heard. Um, Peter Paul Montgomery Buttigieg <laughs> got his undergraduate degree in history and literature at Harvard University, was president of the Student Advisory Committee of the Harvard Institute of Politics, studied philosophy, politics, and economics at Pembroke College, Oxford, on a Rhodes Scholarship. During college, he interned for Jill Long Thompson's uh, tw- 2002 campaign for a congressional seat. She narrowly lost to a conservative businessman. In 2008, he was her research director for her bid for governor of Indiana. She lost to Republican Mitch Daniels. He did an internship for Ted Kennedy, worked on John Kerry's 2004 campaign trail, campaign for Obama in 2008, worked on Democrat Joe Donnelly's 2006 congressional campaign. He won. 2004-2005, he worked as the conference director of the Cohen Group, a Washington-based business advisory firm that consults clients on international investment advice. And from 2007 to 2010, he worked for McKinsey & Company, a global management consulting firm. Later, he volunteered for Barack Obama's campaign in 2007. He joined the military in 2007 and was a U.S. Navy Reserve officer from 2009 to 2017. He ran for state treasurer in 2010 as a fiscal conservative. In 2011, at age 29, he was elected mayor of South Bend, re-elected once, and is now running for president. 
Um, now we're going to get into a little more detail later, but there's a reason I just sort of listed these off as a resume and why we're now going to talk about 2007 to 2010 when he worked at McKinsey and Company. Yeah, now, that's been in the Cody, news lately. Yes. Cody, be- be- before before we get to that, is there a chance his parents were a fan of the famous folk trio Peter, Paul, and Montgomery? I was wondering the same thing. Mm-hmm. There's a chance. Mm-hmm. I haven't yeah. found anything. I haven't found any like folk albums. I haven't found like the the booted Jedge uh, jug band uh, doing covers or anything. That was, um, a, that was a Peter Paul and Mary joke mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. four people. Yeah. Oh, yes, yes. Their yes, big yes. hit was <laughs> "Pup the Sleeping Pug." Booted Jedge. The, the <sighs> I don't know. That was good. Boy. That yeah. was the Irish good, Rovers, Katie. Oh, right. I'm getting confused. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. His parents were uh, both professors at Notre Dame, uh, literature and uh, things like that. Okay. So <laughs> McKinsey and Company is a multi-billion dollar management consulting firm formed in 1926. According to a 2004 article in The Independent by Ben Chu, McKinsey's fingerprints can be found at the scene of some of the most spectacular corporate and financial debacles of recent decades. Some of these scandals include, uh, this is just me talking now, some of these (laughs) scandals include working with ICE, assisting Saudi Arabia in cracking down on dissidents. Mm. They've worked with um, Saudi Arabia even after uh, Jamal Khashoggi was murdered, uh, dismembered, uh, as we all remember. Um, Kinsey and Company. And that's why they're in the news lately, right? They've been in the news this week. um, They've been in the news a bit this week. Um, They still attended a major Saudi investment conference in 2018 uh, after this event. Um, They've also worked with uh, the president of Turkey who we've also discussed on this podcast, I believe. Uh, And speaking of uh, Erdogan, Turkey, Jamal Khashoggi, Saudi Arabia, uh, just some quick breaking news. Uh, Apparently, um, it's being reported that Jared Kushner gave the okay to arrest Jamal Khashoggi to Saudi Arabia, and Turkey has intercepted uh, that message and used that to get Donald Trump to uh, remove... Has that been corroborated by some other places? Because, yeah, the last place I saw it was the Daily Mail, um, who I am am not going to go all in on um yeah no, no i uh not all in um S- the spectator uh yeah. has reported that uh with uh several sources um they're right of center anyway we'll probably um, be talking about that on even more news it this just week. seemed like a really relevant thing to mention uh Hell since yeah. we're te- saying all these things but in regards to these scandals peter paul montgomery has said quote i think they've made a lot of poor choices especially in the last few years Buttigieg said on the campaign trail uh, in iowa recently i left about 10 years ago but it's really frustrating as somebody who worked there to see some of the decisions they've made. Um, these recent scandals aren't the only. Uh, they were directly involved in a little company you might remember called Enron. Oh, yeah. Uh, quote, McKinsey fully endorsed the dubious accounting methods that caused the company to implode in 2001. Uh, this was years before Pete worked there. Because um, Pete's answer there, uh, in general, is uh, McKinsey speak. Uh, sort of what they specialize in. They're a consulting firm. They do. Uh, what do you mean, Pete's answer there? He has it, it, when he talks about it, like oh, oh made what, a lot his of answer to talking about the place. Yeah, and I would I would argue that uh, his answer to almost everything is McKinsey speak mm-hmm. um, because they talk around everything. They uh, you know, using phrases like you know affordable access to sort of obfusc- obfuscate what they're actually talking about mm-hmm. the illusion of freedom and choice and so on. Word flourishes that when you look into them, mean nothing. Mm -hmm. So uh, in regards to ICE, I'm going to read this from a a Justin Joff article uh, at PR News about the reaction of the company. 
In a July 10 all-staff memo, McKinsey's managing director, Kevin Snader, got out in front of the crisis. He explained that McKinsey was not working with ICE to implement its border activities, but simply providing, quote, management consulting services for the agency's, quote, enforcement and removal operations division. Say that one more time. They're not. They're not it's, working with ICE to implement its border activities. They're doing management consulting services for their enforcement and removal operations division. Okay, so they're helping them to oh. streamline how to arrest and... In their enforcement and removal and operations. Removal. Great. Okay. Well, removal is nice. That's different from, like, putting people in a camp or deporting them. It's different. It's just a removal. It's like when it, yeah. I remove something I don't want from my house. Yes. yes, and put it in a camp or send it to El Salvador where it's being hunted. Right, like right, hotels. which is what I do. Yeah. Exactly. what you do. That's what you do. Um, he also wrote that the, uh, the company will not, under any circumstances, engage in any work anywhere in the world that advances or assists policies that are at odds with our values. So this is kind of, I think, the crux of Pete Buttigieg. He was here, uh, this company, for about four years, and... If you listen to him talk these days, you see this in everything he says. Yeah. And it's interesting when he talks about this specifically, I know that he's said like, oh, all this stuff happened after I'd left. A lot of it happened before. A lot it of it was before. happening before. So you knew what the company was when you started working there. Exactly. Um, a Reuters actually describes uh, these inst- inc- incidents as indicating not bad apples, but a culture of corruption. Um, and this has been, again, true for, for a long, long time. Uh, it's... This approach to uh, society <laughs> as like this weird, like technocratic, like means based, again, like the test audience sort of thing, like testing, like how do we talk about this mm-hmm. um, approach to what you believe in uh, seems kind of at odds with what we're, uh, he was writing about um, earlier with in regards to Bernard Sanders. One of the things of this company, they have an up or out policy where consultants who are not promoted are asked to leave. So it's this sort of hyper-competitive mm-hmm. arena that fosters that way of thinking all across sure. the way you approach things. And it's why, like, uh, when I was saying, like, here's his resume. Uh, these are the things that he can say, oh, I did this, I did this. He actually had uh, McKinsey and Company on his resume when he was running as a fiscal conservative earlier. He no longer talks about it. Sure, weird. that'd be a bad idea. Um, weird, Yeah. He he said that the company had the the people were good, but there was a culture of corruption. What was the exact wording uh, there? Because that's, that's incredibly weaselly. Well, so that's what how Reuters describes it. Reuters, Reuters. Um, okay. It's not bad okay. apples. It's a culture of corruption. Um, so it's a bunch of good apples in a box made of poop. Like, how do you have a bunch of good people, but the culture's corrupt? I don't I don't understand how it's that well could exactly. Oh, what's that show? It's like Bloodline. They're not bad people. They just did bad things. <laughs> right. Well, and right. And like you, you, Some of you will get that. <laughs> looking at uh, this company and what they do and how they speak about things, um, you can say it's a culture of corruption, but you can also say what they're doing is bad. Uh, because if you have a culture of corruption, chances are those align with what the company's goals are, right? Yeah. Um, so just the way he distances himself from it, too, um, is... Uh, McKinsey and company through and through. Um, and so I wanted to talk about this company and how they talk to sort of inform. Or I, I, they talk like politicians. 
Yes, yeah. yes, yes, they do, exactly. Um, it's the uh, So maybe opposite. a good training ground for a little politician in training. Yeah. Want to be politician. Want to be politician in training who uh, used to understand that people hate that and uh, don't like when people talk like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe you come off as a bit of a fraud when you slowly evolve. Or at the very least, a hypocrite. That. At the very well, least, I- a hypocrite. If we go back to earlier in his resume, too, I also noticed that, like, his his first kind of forays into politics were, like, failing to get a liberal elected against conservative Republicans. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's after he wrote that essay about Sanders. So it kind right. of, I, you can kind of see, I feel like, right. in that, him going like, well, I guess maybe, maybe it doesn't work going to the left. And if I want to get elected, I have right. to uh, be able to compete with conservatives on conservative issues. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, I he think, joined the military. Right. And, I think his entire yeah. sort of career, f- from like that essay to now, it's very clear uh, what he has slowly turned into, mm-hmm. and that would be something that probably young people are turned off by, and it will inform everything we say in the future about him. Uh, it's it's why you know because uh, he went to even went to Harvard when Zuckerberg was there, and we know. On Zuckerberg's recommendation, he hired two different people mm-hmm. to work for him. His policy director is a former Goldman Sachs mm-hmm. VP. Uh, so just the entire culture is this technocratic thing that people just like don't like and is very sort of dishonest approach to politics, which I think that a young Buttigieg might have not liked. Goldman Sachs is the company that's famous for not having anything to do with the 2008 uh, economic crash, right? They that is correct. With, they yes. Nothing to do with it. Yeah, that. that's what they're best known for. Okay, cool, 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 yeah. cool. Um, and it's just like this, like tech broy kind of thing too, where like a lot of the things he did as, as mayor was like smart streets, smart sewers. Like when he talks about, he has a national service program idea because mm-hmm. he he served yeah. in, the mil- in the military. And that's something that I think people tend to. He uh, served in the military. To. He did. He Pete did Buttigieg. Indeed. Yeah. Um and. So he has these ideas for like a climate core, you know, community improvement core and these. And he talks about his dream is uh, when people apply for jobs, the first question is, where did you serve and what did you learn? Again, it's this sort of weird obsession with like getting the resume right, making sure like you've got the right tools and as opposed to, again, stuff we're going to talk about. But also this (laughs) national service program, um, he wants to create a position on the National Security Council to... Manage these programs? What? Yeah. Oh, boy. I don't know why that needs to be on the National Security Council. I don't know why that needs to be on the National Security Council. I don't don't know know. if we should have that, right? What I can tell you is that Barack Obama, back in 2000, I think eight, uh, vaguely suggested something kind of like this, um, but less extensive. And the right-wing media ran with it as Obama's trying to build his own secret military, like separate military to like take over the country and destroy the rest of the military. So if if Buttigieg becomes the candidate and pushes this further, I am very excited for how Breitbart's going to cover this. Well, maybe that's why he would put a position on the National Security Council so that it's not a secret. What fun that would be. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, it's just a weird... um, It unsettles me personally, the mm-hmm. National Security Council aspect. And when he when he talks about this, he has ads called "Recruit." We're recruiting you to do this and that. I'm torn about that, man, yeah. because like, okay, so my my family probably wouldn't exist if um, FDR hadn't 
created something vaguely similar, the Civilian Conservation mm-hmm. Corps, yeah. um, during the Great Depression, which was hiring a bunch of Americans because there were no jobs. It was the government hiring them and paying them to do stuff like build up all of our national parks. That's where like all of the trails on parks you go through. Yeah. Like it were started out and formed from and a lot of the cabins and stuff. And um I think that especially if we're talking about like a green new deal and we actually mean that literally as opposed to like a buzzword, right. I can see there being a place for some sort of like national service program where people can like help work on this giant project that is unfucking um, yeah. the environment in some way. So I, I'm not inherently against every aspect of this idea. Um, the militant, the military aspect. That's the it. Fact exactly. that he's, yeah, that's that's what's a little bit. That's what's off to me because it shouldn't yeah. be like military. Service. Yeah. When I first heard, started hearing about this, that gave me pause, uh, wondering what exactly it is, what like what things that I'm not seeing on the surface here that it might uh, lead to. But at its core, the idea of encouraging people to take this time post high school to you know, be of service, I think is actually a pretty lovely idea and could maybe help uh, well, a right, lot of yeah. a lot of young people. Um, yeah, it's a lo- it's a lovely idea. And I think it just it's when you put it through this guy who is fundamentally changed uh, via this sort of corporatist, like uh, consulting firm stuff and the military aspect, it warps it into something that I think uh, is unappealing. Yeah. Um, yeah, at what point are these guys going to get rented out to carry out work on behalf of private corporations and, like, building mm-hmm. up facilities for private corporations uh, for pennies on the dollar? Exactly. Like, at what point is that going to happen? Three weeks? Four weeks? <laughs> right. Um, speaking, yeah. of, uh, speaking of corporations, here are advertisements. Welcome to the worst year ever. We'll get through together. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash news. That's LifeLock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? 
I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature. And of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From places. They were really powerful were. ads. Powerful ads from powerful places. Cody, I'm dying to hear what else you have to say about Pete Poot Pete Pootajet. Pete Pootajet? <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> Katie, that's not fair. Pete Pootajet. How dare you say that in front of a Brodajedge? Okay, so here, here are more of my thoughts on Pete Buttigieg. Great. Um, I've, uh, I'm going to continue my speech. Sanders' courage is evident in the first word he uses to describe himself. Socialist. In a country where communism is still the dirtiest of ideological dirty words, in a climate where even liberalism is considered radical and socialism is immediately and perhaps willfully confused with communism, a politician dares to call himself a socialist? He does indeed. Here is someone who has looked into his own soul and expressed an ideology, the endorsement of which, in today's political atmosphere, is analogous to a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Even though he has lived through a time in which an admitted socialist could not act in a film, let alone hold a congressional seat, Sanders is not afraid to be candid about his political persuasion. Very cool. Wasn't his dad a potential Marxist? Um, there's uh, suspicions of that with if he was a Marxist. Um, he's translated some uh, Marxist mm-hmm. writings. Um, the people that are asked about that are usually say like, well, he never really expressed that kind of mm-hmm. uh, politics. Uh, I don't think he's a Marxist. He's progressive. So there's no confirmation of that. Okay. Um, it doesn't super matter, probably. No, it doesn't. Also, like <laughs> his Marxist dad. Yeah, we're going to go to Harvard. You're going to do this political thing. You're going to go, you know, you're gonna <laughs> yeah. be the, the, all that. All, all the stuff we've talked about. Um doesn't really speak to Pete's ideology. But uh, so in regards to this section of uh, Pete's joyful, resounding endorsement of Bernie Sanders, I'd like to talk quickly about Bernie's opinion of uh, the rise of socialism these days. Uh, Pete calls himself a democratic capitalist. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, 
I don't think you need to make that distinction. But. And, uh, okay, buddy. <laughs> I'm just gonna read. I'm just gonna read this real quick. Um, I think the word socialism is largely lost. This is Pete, Mr. Mr. Pete. I think the word socialism has largely lost its meaning in American politics because it has been used by the right to describe pretty much anything they disagree with. To the extent there's a conversation around democratic socialism, even that seems to be a little squishy in terms of what it actually means. Mm, squishy, Pete. I think of myself as progressive, but I also believe in capitalism. But it has to be democratic capitalism. And uh, this is more McKinsey speak. Um, because if we know what capitalism is, we'd probably say it's uh, well, people with capital make the decisions and own, et cetera, and so forth. And if you make that democratic, what would that be? Yeah. What would it be? What would you call that? What's a democratic stock market? What's like? What's wh a. Yeah. I'm trying to is, think of a good word for that. I can't. I'm failing. Well, we could maybe. Uh, hire a consulting firm like uh, mm -hmm. McKinsey and Company. We could, could and we could ask them yeah. if they could come up with some branding for us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Un in this democratic uh, uh, capitalism, if a company, say, we'll call them Fessly, uh, buys up, say, a huge chunk of the nation's water rights and mm -hmm. uses them to package up water in tiny plastic bottles that kill the ocean and ship it off all around the world... Um, as drought and whatnot threatens huge chunks of the country where those aquifers are, would we get a vote on whether or not that's okay? Or would the fact that they'd already paid for it mean that none of us has a choice in what happens to that water? Oh, none of us has a choice. None of us has a choice. I think. Democracy, right? It's, yeah. Yes. Okay. That's, 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 democracy. that's my definition yeah. of democracy. Um, Continue. So Pete believes in democratic capitalism. Okay. Cool. Because um, cool. he's a very honest boy. Um, uh, he's also said, I'm, I think, much more concerned about the debt than what is fashionable among most people in my party. Uh, side note, Pete, we made up money. We made it up. It's made up. Money doesn't no, exist. But, we made it up. But Cody, the debt's the highest it's ever been. Surely that's had a, a concrete impact on the lives of the people listening to this. Mm. I don't know, man. We'll have to ask Pete. You want to call Pete? <laughs> Call Pete, see what he has to say about it. Yes. Uh, Want to highlight that word "fashionable" among most people in my party? Uh -huh. That's more McKinsey and Company mm -hmm. bullshit, because it's it's distancing yourself, but it's also like ingratiating yourself with the with the ideas. Being like, I'm not. It's not fashionable these days. It's just very Weasley how he talks, um, and it's uh, political. It's a little political. Um, and to sort of really illustrate this, we're going to talk about a little thing called Medicare for all. Great. So uh, Pete Buttigieg, wild Bernie Sanders fan, has uh, discussed Medicare for All in the past. Uh, he has been for it. In fact, when someone asked him about this uh, in the past, he has tweeted, this is from February 2018, his response asking about why, you don't, why don't you support Medicare for All? His response was, buh? When, where have you ever heard me oppose Medicare for All? How does he spell buh? B-U-H, question cool. mark, yeah. That's right. That's, that's correct. That's correct, yeah. Yeah. Uh, his follow-up, uh, gosh, exclamation point. At least it wasn't gah. <laughs> what a dweeb. Um, okay, I, Pete Buttigieg, politician, do henceforth and forthwith declare most affirmatively and indubitably unto the ages that I do favor Medicare for all as I do favor any measure that would help get all Americans covered. Now, if you'll excuse me, potholes await. Um, uh, well, I love that firm, bold stance. Firm, bold stance. Uh, from a couple years ago. Okay. From only slightly over a year ago. From only slightly over a year ago. Um, and uh, people like to uh, talk about this. Uh, our friend Nate Silver, friend of the show, 
um, has tried to distance uh, <laughs> himself a little bit from this, like, oh, he didn't change his mind about Medicare for All. Medicare for All was always a sort of blanket idea of, like, hey, eh, we're eventually going to do this kind of thing. It's like a universal health care kind of idea. Um, it's not – when you say Medicare for All, you don't mean single payer specifically, um, which, of course, is nonsense. Uh, there's also an essay by Pete Buttigieg from about a decade ago, quote, we could finally see a single payer healthcare system that closes the gap between the U.S. and other nations when it comes to medical treatment. Okay. Um, and before we get into Pete's current plan, I'd like to quickly uh, go through some uh, healthcare industry donors to Pete Buttigieg in uh, third quarter of 2019. Oh, I'm sure these are all above board. Um, these are all about between like $2,000, $6,000. Executives at Decibel Therapeutics, Truman Medical Centers, Ironwood Pharmaceuticals, Aztecs Pharmaceuticals, the director of Anthem. Blue Cross Blue Shield? Mm, Norton Healthcare. Surely they support single payer health Surely. care. You know who else probably does? Pfizer. Mm-hmm. If I know Pfizer... They love people having access to health care. Advent Health, Cello okay. Health, the Kaiser Foundation Health Plan. These are just some of the many. Very cool. Many, we many, get the idea, you, I think. Maybe you get the idea. So um, here is, uh, according to Pete's website, is Medicare for all who want it. Because health care is a human right. Guarantee universal coverage through Medicare for all who want it. The Medicare for all who want it public alternative will help America reach universal coverage by providing an affordable insurance option to the currently uninsured. The public alternative will provide the same essential health benefits as those currently available on the marketplaces and ensure that everyone has access to high quality, mm. comprehensive coverage. Keywords. Love the word access. Yes. It's a good word. If you, if you cut the word access out, then it would just be saying everybody has high quality health care coverage, right? Mm. If you add the word access, I wonder if that changes the meaning of the sentence. I, I think it, way. you know what, Robert? Good point. I think it does. It might, it might, it might does. It might does. I it just, might does. It always frustrates me, this conversation, when it comes mm. Medicare for all who want it, just inherently means not Medicare for all. Well, yeah. Um, it, it just means that people, that just yeah. puts us in a situation where a lot of people can't afford it. I imagine him sitting down with some guy going through the early stages of insulin shock because he can't afford $1,400 a month for his insulin because it costs more than his rent. And mm -hmm. being like, do you want health care? And the guy is saying like, yes, for the love of God, please. And him saying, okay, well, if you want health care, it's going to cost you $1,400 a month. Do you have $1,400 a month? No. Ah, well, you didn't want health care. You had the access to it. You heard the offer, but you didn't want it. So you didn't want it enough. You didn't um, want it enough. Yeah. Um, this is a, a, an issue that uh, I think other candidates could be a little stronger on communicating. The whole point is uh, of insurance is that uh, healthy people, everybody pays in, you see. Healthy people also pay. Um, wealthy people also pay so that the sick people uh, can get that access and if you have all these private uh, insurance companies that are tied to your employment, and then you have this public option of like, well, if you need it, you have this, that's not going to be a very good plan. No. Because the people who have the very good jobs and the good insurance aren't paying into mm -hmm. the Medicare. And so that will actually not 
get to what we want it to be. Uh, one interesting sentence also on his website, the plan will automatically enroll individuals in affordable coverage if they are eligible for it. If they are eligible for it, and yet at the very top it says because healthcare is a human right. Uh-huh. If healthcare so is a human makes right, you eligible then, other than being alive and a human. Interesting. Ah, ooh, I guess. Mm, I guess we'll have to read the fine print. So, we have the right to mm-hmm. a lawyer. Yeah, and there's no eligibility there. You don't have to run through hoops. It's not anything other than you get a lawyer. Yeah, and uh, so if you're saying healthcare is a human right, but you're also uh, Putting it in this way, uh, maybe maybe you don't actually mean that, Pete. Maybe you don't actually mean that, Pete. Maybe you don't actually mean that, Pete. Maybe you learned or a lot. Or maybe he has a... I, what's his definition of human? I feel like nobody's asking that. Maybe he has a very narrow definition of human that yeah, starts at a certain a income level. that's a good point. That is a good because, point. Because, like, we have freedom of speech in the United States for humans, but, but not- you're not a human if you put on a mask. Then the police can fire tear gas grenades into your skull. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's sort of like that. Maybe. You know what? Maybe. 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 We'll have to ask Pete when he's on this show for sure. <laughs> so I, I'd like to play one clip uh, real quick to really fully hear Pete's approach to politics and just the utter smarm that he oozes when he talks about this issue. He is uh, being asked by George Stephanopoulos, is your main argument against Medicare for All now is that it can't get passed or that it won't work? And here's what Pete Buttigieg has to say about that. You used to be for broader Medicare for All. You didn't qualify it in any way. Is your main argument against Medicare for All now that it can't get passed or that it won't work? Look, I think it could very well be the long-run destination, but I think there's got to be some humility in our policy here. Uh, Let's put this out there and see if it's really the best plan for everybody. I think it will be the best plan, but I'm not willing to assume that it is the right plan for you out of Washington and order you to take it whether you want to or not. If it's the right plan, then everybody will move to it until it is the single payer. And if it's not the right plan for everybody, then we're going to be really glad we didn't kick some Americans off their private plans. I'm thinking, for example, about a lot of union members who fought and negotiated for good plans they have today. They don't want to have to abandon those plans because Washington tells them they must do that in four years or less. It doesn't make sense. And the most important thing is we can get to universal health care coverage without putting America through all of that, without kicking people off their private plans, without uh, disagreements to the tune of 10 or 15 trillion dollars over how much this is going to cost, which is equivalent to the entire GDP of the country. Uh, we have a plan that is affordable, that is paid for, and that allows you to choose instead of Washington choosing Senate. for you. And it's the boldest thing we will have done to American healthcare in a half century. Oh, what a politician's answer. The utter smarm. Yeah. Of that, like, first of the first thing he says is we have to have humility. The last thing he says, it's the boldest plan we can get in half a century. It's like so interesting how it doesn't even quite make sense. Like, yeah, I think in the the long run, this very well could be. But, you know, not if it's for everybody. This That's not what they want. So we're going to have to wait and see what people want. Yes. And what are you saying? He's not saying anything. That's And that's the thing with this McKenzie nonsense. You're not actually saying anything. Uh, when he talks about humility, what does he mean? Because he's also talking about a bold plan. Also, speaking of humility, you were a mayor for like two two times and now you want to be the president of a country um it's and like humble very very humble 
it, there's a phrase that he says at the very beginning. I think it could very well be the long run destination. Right. That's so many qualifiers to not actually say anything. Yeah. It's not saying anything about what you want. It's not this bold new plan. It's nothing. And he's just a real piece of wonderful politician. As I've said, I am a Broda judge. You guys want to know how many votes Pete has received in his life that, that gave him the position that he has? Unless you already... No, please tell me that. This, Cody. I would guess um, under 10,000 votes. What? 8,515. What? Get yes, that man. On the strength of 8,515. Get that man. Uh, get yes. him on a ticket. Talk to me about I mean, humility. No, we, we, we have to be fair to Pete, which is that uh, by saying that like the current president had zero votes ever before he became the president. So sure, 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 we sure. are in a different era, you know? Um, but it is but still, still astounding. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and in light of everything we've already talked about and how we've uh, certain essays we've uh, read from Pete. Yeah. Um, he's the least bold uh, person. He's an empty vessel, uh, it really seems. That is. Uh, he's got a lot of languages. Got a lot of languages. Um, I th- I think he's a very intelligent, like, like everything you're saying paints a picture to me of a very intelligent, very ambitious person who actually does believe things, or at least did at one point, but who believes more than anything else that he should be in office. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because um, that, that's clearly, like with Sanders... Like that's the whole point. The whole point of Buttigieg's essay on Sanders is that Bernie Sanders is a guy who the things he believes matter more, have always mattered more to him than the political viability of those things because mm-hmm. he just actually believes things, and that's yes. like the whole point he was making about the courage of like identifying as a socialist back when that was even more poisonous than it is now, and. The, everything that we learn about Buttigieg's career is that he doesn't. He doesn't really believe in anything other than he wants to be in power. Like yes. I'll say, Which is alarming he's not. To me. He he doesn't. He's not that. It's not like to the extent where he would do anything. Like I don't think he would run as a Republican. I don't think he would do what Trump has done and like like lean into racism and xenophobia no. to the, to get elected. He has a conscience. He's not a he's not a sociopath. Um, but he clearly. I think he's. I think. I think. He, I'm going to guess he's a huge fan of the West Wing, and in fact, I'm oh, almost sure. certain no, read about him being a fan of the West Wing. And I'm going to guess he's a. You know, one of the one of the most famous scenes in the West Wing was the president uh, of uh, like the the Democrat president in that show unveiling a banner that was labeled pragmatic idealism. Yeah. Um, which I I think that's his attitude. Is like if I can get in into office because I'm. I'm so intelligent and because I'm so d- such a decent person, like I don't have to stand for anything. Me being in office will allow me to do good things. I mean, and I'd like, say best case scenario, he has these ideals and, and is more idealistic than we're seeing right now. But his time in office, his time at McKinsey yeah. has made him, uh, you know, more, it's, more a politician, you know, gnarled, yeah. but like, I, I also don't, I think that now we actually are in a unique 
moment in time where uh, people can be bolder and can say flat out what it is that they want and what we need. And we might be able to harness that momentum and get shit done. And he has yeah. talked about this on the debate stage. He's even said, like, we have the opportunity to do the boldest plans in a generation. So do it. Um, and it's just clear he's, he is a sort of empty vessel, but he is intelligent. He's been just like a politician guy. I want to be a politician. That's why we see a lot of CNN pieces on like, he's he's Obama. He's like Obama now. Um, I want to really quick read this quote from a New York Times piece about that aspect of it, because it is just sort of he's perceived as intelligent. He plays the piano. Um this quote, uh, there's just something about him. He's intelligent. When an audience member asked about conditions in Gaza during a campaign stop in Mason City, Mr. Buttigieg began responding in Arabic. The overwhelmingly white audience, largely unaware of what he said, broke into raucous applause. <laughs> and I think that is just the chefiest kiss. Very fun. Uh, Very fun. It's exactly what he is. Uh, uh, I'm not going to take a stance, but I'm going to do the thing that would get a cheer if this were an episode of The West Wing. Exactly. Um, yeah. It's all performative. Yeah. He doesn't really believe Amazing. in much. We don't know what he believes in. We don't in. know that, but yeah. We don't know that. We don't know. What I do know is that it's time for us to take a quick ad break. So let's do that real quick, and then we'll come back for more Pete Buttigieg. Hmm. Edges. Edges. Welcome to the worst year ever. We'll get through together or not. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature. And of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene, we'll boot it. Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you hide the books, Gene. 
the last store on the sea business. I understand now. He's a wise man, Marie's a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return, your time won't, and we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Everything is so dumb, 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 Welcome back to the show, fellow proto-judges. Yeah. Are we excited? Pumped, bro. Um, judges. Bro judges. I don't know if I like my, this. My <laughs> butt is on the edge. Good. Oh, I like that. Is it on the edge edge? It, it's on two edges, actually. Yeah, I'm Very on the nice. edge, edge of my butt. Continue. Um, so we're going to continue. We're going to get to um, some more of Pete's issues. Uh, I'd like to return to uh, his essay about Bernie Sanders because um, I don't think that Pete uh, necessarily is going to be sticking around. He may be picked as a VP. We'll see. I don't know. Um, a V Pete? A V Pete. Oh, that's good. Mm-hmm. Boo. To judge. To judge. Um, okay. Jesus. But I, I, I have. I want to use this opportunity, and I think it's necessary to um, basically bully Pete and shame him <laughs> into dropping out of the race and endorsing Bernie Sanders. Way to be best. I'm being best, um, and I'm. I, I think he should be bullied um, and shamed. Okay. Um, and uh, for more on this, we're going to go to Pete Buttigieg. Okay. After numerous political defeats in his traditionally Republican state, Sanders won the office of mayor of Burlington by 10 votes. A successful and popular mayor, he went on to win Vermont's one congressional seat in 1990. Since then, he has taken many courageous and politically risky stands on issues facing the nation. He has come under fire from various conservative religious groups because of his support for same-sex marriages. His stance on gun control led to NRA-organized media campaigns against him. Sanders has also shown creativity in organizing drug shopping trips to Canada for senior citizens to call attention to inflated drug prices in the United States. He still does this, by the way. This is Cody speaking. He's still doing that. While impressive, Sanders' candor, very nice, Pete, does not itself represent political courage. The nation is teeming with outspoken radicals in one form or another. Most are sooner called crazy than courageous. It is the second half of Sanders' political role that puts the first half into perspective. He is a powerful force for conciliation and bipartisanship on Capitol Hill. In Profiles and Courage, John F. Kennedy wrote that we should not be too hasty in condemning all compromises, bad morals, for politics and legislation are not matters for inflexible principles or unattainable ideals. It may that seem was a solid, solid JFK and a slightly better Mayor Quimby. Yeah, he I was going for Mayor Quimby. Did he put that in italicized or something? He put like, it in quotes. Okay. Um, I was trying to say, like, read with this voice. He, he didn't say read as John F. Kennedy, but it is a John F. Kennedy quote he put in quotes. Um, a little on the fly there, giving it a go. Um, It may seem strange that someone so steadfast in his principles has a reputation as a peacemaker between divided forces in Washington, but this is what makes Sanders truly remarkable. He represents President Kennedy's ideal of compromises of issues, not of principles. (laughs) Sanders has used his unique position as the lone independent congressman to help Democrats and Republicans force hearings on the internal 
structure of the International Monetary Fund, which he sees as excessively powerful and unaccountable. He also succeeded in quietly persuading reluctant Republicans and President Clinton to ban the import of products made by underage workers. It's kind of weird, actually, that that had to be done, mm, right? Sure. But, yeah. right, yep. Moving on. <clears throat> Sanders drew some criticism from the far left when he chose to grudgingly endorse President Clinton's bids for election and re-election as president. Sanders explained that while he disagreed with many of Clinton's centrist policies, he felt that he was the best option for America's working class. And I'm going to quickly stop here because uh, I think this is kind of interesting. Um, because uh, So recently, Pete was uh, at a union um, uh, meeting uh, in Cedar Rapids. Uh, you know how you mentioned actually that union members are worried about their private insurance? Mm-hmm. That's not super true. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, uh, the nurses' union uh, supports it. Uh, Medicare for all specifically um, seems like those. That may seems, be like, the a seems like, seems like a real important endorsement. A real endorsement. telling one. Um, but he no, was. but what what do nurses know about health care? They're just failed doctors. There you go. Yeah. I mm-hmm. don't mean that nurses. You don't believe that. I do not believe no. that. What if we listen to teachers and nurses on things? No, 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 uh, no, no. Under no circumstances, no, Cody. No. They are allowed to teach our children and give us life-saving health care, but we do not listen to them. No. All right. Under any circumstances. Okay. Shut up and do your job, nurses. Yeah. yeah. And Cody. Yeah, thank you. Okay. <laughs> All right, then. Um, so I actually looked into Bernie's endorsement of Bill Clinton, and I'm not going to read it uh, but uh, all, but it is fucking hilarious. Um I, I'm just going to read some real, real quick quotes. In ter- Wait, Bernie's Bernie's endorsement, endorsement of-, of Bill Clinton okay. that he's talking about. In terms of who to support for president, the choice is really not difficult. I am certainly not a big fan of Bill Clinton's politics. As a strong advocate of a single-payer health care system, I oppose his convoluted health care. He goes on and on. He's basically, the entire time, he's saying... Without enthusiasm, I've decided to support Bill Clinton for president. Perhaps support is too strong a word. I'm planning no press conferences to push his candidacy and will do no campaigning for him. I will vote for him and make that public. Why? I think that many people do not perceive how truly dangerous the political situation in this country is today. If Bob Dole were to be elected president and Gingrich and the Republicans were to maintain control of Congress, we would see a legislative agenda unlike any in the modern history of this country. He goes on to warn about this. He talks about how he knows these people. He talks to them every day. He knows what they want. And it's more important to support Bill Clinton because do I have confidence that Clinton will stand up for the working people of this country, for children, for the elderly, for the folks who are hurting? No, I do not. But a Clinton victory could give us some time to build a movement, to develop a political infrastructure, to protect what needs protecting, and to change the direction of the country. Uh, I hate okay. it when good people are wrong. Mm-hmm. So um, that's tie not this my back in with thing. Pete. It's not my favorite. So I, 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 I'm tying this in with Pete because I think that. Uh, this is a solid endorsement of Pete if he were to get the nomination. Uh. Um, but more than anything, um, I think it shows an understanding of what Republicans want and are. And uh-huh. even back in the day, as we've talked about with Biden, he thinks that Republicans are going to have like this big epiphany and like come to their senses and, and compromise. Um, Pete has recently uh, said to union members in Cedar Rapids, he genuinely believed President Trump, when he got into office, would pass an infrastructure bill. That he promised, and he's surprised that he hasn't yet. And this, I think, is uh, what's surprising about that. What's surprising about that? It's that uh, it's the West Wingism, I think, that mm-hmm. Pete still embodies yeah. and has, where he doesn't understand really what's going on. He's trying to appeal to everybody instead of um, having those principles mm-hmm. and, and a bold vision. 
because as we read in his essay about Bernie Sanders, he's, he's gotten things done with Republicans as, as well as Democrats while staying true to his vision. I don't think Pete has that. And it's, uh, I see. Just, you know, yeah. I, I, I thought that that was a little a little relevant and interesting. Um, uh, something that he had praised in the past mm-hmm. and probably wouldn't um, understand nowadays. Um, but uh, where we are at with Pete now um, I want to talk about a, a story that's sort of developing um, that we may have heard that uh, Pete is struggling with uh, black voters. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and, and there's this narrative of that it's there's a homophobia in the black yeah, community there's and that's a, why he's lagging. A memo in his campaign basically saying that like they think that uh, older black voters are too homophobic to vote for Pete. Mm. Um, this is mostly based off of uh, one uh, – focus group they had oh, uh that's the, the only one reason yeah with uh 24 um people and some of the older black folks were a little uh uneasy about pete and i would posit that perhaps there are better candidates mm-hmm. on issues that uh black voters care about and perhaps uh his uh history i was gonna say perhaps it's his history as mayor, as mayor. And has his, something more to do with it. Uh, his relationship with the police and, and yeah, uh, yeah. In uh, so he actually fired uh, his city's city's mayor of um, their first ever black police chief, Daryl Boykins. Um, there's a federal investigation revealed that uh, South Bend police were illegally recording phone calls of officers. Um, this was uh, done to basically uh, see if there were uh, many racists in the police force. Um, and okay. to find corruption and illegal acts from them. Um, Boykins was replaced by two white police chiefs. Two? Yeah. Um, he is, wait, uh, wait, 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 yeah. wait. So mm-hmm. they, he was fired because he instituted the program of recording police officer phone conversations to, look to for try racism? and catch them? Boykins was looking for racism and corruption um, in his police force, and uh, he was fired when that was discovered by uh, Mayor Pete. And and Boykin, the police chief, was illegally recording the phone conversations of his officers. I mean, his officers. Yes. I mean, that sucks to be. That is a fucking G move. I I am not normally pro cop, but I am definitely pro cop who illegally records other cops. Right. That's fucking solid. Solid police know. work. I feel like that's a crime, but okay. <laughs> I agree. I get the point. Like and yeah. I mean, I think whether or not it's a crime to me means less than like, was it, was it, was it morally the right thing to do? Yeah. I, yeah. It yes. sounds like on the same he page had a good on that point. I've, yeah. so I have super no problem with what Boykins did. Um, yeah. And uh, actually, the police communications director alleged that the recordings um, actually captured four senior police officers making racist remarks did they and now? discussing illegal acts. Um, so perhaps. Wait, that's so surprising. Though, yeah, surprising. Although it was. Uh, Illegal. Um, maybe it was not yeah. the worst uh, move to uh, find this information. So that's one thing that maybe people have a problem with, and maybe that's uh, more what his uh, the issue is um, among black voters. Also, um, white police officer shot Eric Logan, a black man, and after this, Pete met with uh, Black Lives Matter. Uh, he did call for a special prosecutor to investigate, um, but he had these calls with Black Lives Matter um, activists. And the reaction was not great. Uh, they kind of felt like he didn't really care. He was insincere on the calls and felt like he was sort of rushing along like it was something he had to do. 
Um, although the police union criticizes uh, his decision as being politically motivated, so it's kind of the same thing. Mm-hmm. They yeah. both yeah. accusing him of the same thing. Yeah, kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't a little bit, sure. A little bit. And his sort of response is just like, yeah, I messed up. Uh, and I, I think that it's a little disingenuous to frame it as though it's this homophobia when there are actual issues right. with the community that he ha- has in his past. And that that like that that really ties into one of his constant issues, which is just this like this complete failure to be willing to take um, a bold side. Yes. Like it's one of those things, even if the side he'd picked in that had been like going all out for the police, at least it would have been a stance. But like he clearly he he wasn't willing to do that. This disappointing hedging, this uh, willing, unwilling to like, yeah, take a bold stance or like take. When when he talks about it, I I think he leaves people cold because there's a lack of uh, taking any responsibility or uh, seeming to learn from things that have happened. Yeah, yeah, you're you're running to be the president of a party that doesn't win without the black vote. Take a stance in favor of Black Lives Matter. Yeah. Um, like, what do you like? What do you what what election do you think this is? Do you think you're gonna get? Like the MAGA hat voting crowd to go for you because you weren't willing to back BLM. Like, what is what is your s- strategic decision there, Pete? Exactly. It's I don't it's, get it. It's yeah. nothing. Um, it's and it's sort of why I wanted to read that uh, the Bill Clinton endorsement from Bernie because it's at least an understanding of like this is what the situation is and here's what we need to do. So I'm just gonna say that. Um, yeah. And uh, with Pete, he is a sort of kind of an empty vessel. And uh, his responses to like the Black Lives Matter criticism, things like that, are McKinsey uh, through and through. Um, and he really doesn't really want to talk about his time there. Um, yeah. an- another program he actually had when he was mayor is called uh, 1,000 Homes in 1,000 Days. Mm-hmm. It was his plan to uh, demolish or renovate homes. Okay. Um, and uh, Buttigieg took note. Um, later of the fact that many homes within communities of color were the ones demolished. Interesting. Did they get rebuilt? Mm-hmm. They just got taken yeah, away? Taken away, demolished homes. What? Um, so, it's what? a shame he couldn't have done anything about the way that program was executed. I wish, uh, you know what he needed to, to do to fix if that? If only he'd been the mayor. Mm, I think he should have been the president. If he were the president, <laughs> that would have been taken care of. So I think that there's there's an element. Pete, Pete is the, uh, if we ignore Joe Biden, because I think um, despite being very popular with older voters, Pete is the DNC candidate. Well, he certainly over the course of this election cycle has tacked to the middle. Like you've seen him be like, yep, I'm going to I'll be the young moderate option. Would you say that uh, politicians are rushing for the center? Careful not to stick their necks out on issues. I would say that one specific politician. Would you write it down if you were a senior in high school and you wanted to win the John F. Kennedy Profiles and Courage oh, yeah, essay I contest? Would. All right, cool. Just I bet sure. anybody who wrote that in a John F. Kennedy Profiles and Courage essay contest while they were in high school would grow into the kind of person who would never perfectly embody those words and would always take the right stance, even if it wasn't the easy one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. I agree with you completely. And it's, uh, it's very clear that uh, the DNC wants this man and the media is very into him. Uh, you see a lot of headlines recently about uh, Buttigieg uh, being in fourth place, but a strong fourth. Right. Uh, Buttigieg surging to third place, this kind of uh, inevitability of yeah. Pete Buttigieg. Yeah, there's certainly a narrative happening. It's like they're testing the winds and seeing like, oh, people don't love that Biden guy. Let's 
Right, they need somebody Let's else push. to get in there because they can't have a Sanders or a Warren. It almost feels like there's also just this idea that the media is hyping up the conflict. I mean, there's conflict, but, you know, like, uh-oh, now this person's coming. Like, yeah, it's creating the drama, yeah. the drama of it for likes and clicks. Yeah. Um, and shares and stuff. And all, just all, just, there's just a lot of excitement about... Um, maybe perhaps having a long-term goal of Medicare for all, but for now having a, a glide path. A glide yeah. path is a is a fun little term. Well, you've sure got to have some McKinsey. humility when you're talking about mm-hmm. healthcare. You have to have humility when you're talking about healthcare. Um, you if can't you... arrogantly insist that people deserve access to life-saving no. medical treatments. No, well, you no. can't say people, healthcare people is a like human that. right and then uh, actually uh, put forth. Uh, an actual vision of that being true. See, my my job as yeah. a leader is not to lead. It's to let people figure it out. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we talk on The Worst Year Ever about sort of like what's to come. And um, I think one of the things that we don't, it's not talked about much or considered in terms of uh, the candidate um, is how will this person speak around or to Donald Trump. And I'm just not sure if this dweeb from South Bend is up for the task. Um, I think so. I think uh, in terms of the energy we're going to get from Pete is this sort of mealy mouthed, uh, not committed to much uh, faux bold McKinsey and company speak about choice and so on. Um, There's a clip going around that you can see of his campaign getting ready for a rally and they're teaching everybody this dance. And it's just the dorkiest thing you can imagine. It's you, you roll you roll around your arms to the left and you do it to the right and then you clap. And we're, it's, uh, it's really musical theater high school stuff. Right. Um, it's very reminiscent of, there's a clip you can see uh, from the 1996 DNC. Oh yeah, I retweeted that today. Yeah, um, it's, them, it's all these uh, lanyard dorks doing the Macarena. Um, and it should be pointed out, they won. They won that year. You know, um, yep. but, but the Macarena was a hit. Also, it's a different time now. Yeah, um, they were running I, up against other complete dorks. I just have a hard time seeing him holding his own next to Donald Trump on stage. Uh, just uh, you know, in terms of how how he comes across energetically. But that's neither it's here nor be there. Hard, There's um, more important stuff, him. but to th- consider. Right. Um, it's the uh, the uh, they have an ad on on his website to enter to win. Tickets to see Hamilton with my husband. I know that's so wild. Why would I want to go with Jastin? To like it's yeah. So you know, I didn't want to get too much into it. Every single thing he's done or his platform, um, because I don't think that matters as much as knowing the kind of politician he is. And so again, I want to shame him into. Basically, just reading what he wrote in high school and dropping out and supporting Bernie Sanders. I'd love to hear, uh, have somebody bring it up with him. I'm like, oh, we found this essay that you wrote in high school all about Bernie Sanders. And I everything... think this would be an interesting um, place to jump off of to talk about your political evolution, I suppose. Mm-hmm. What do you still believe from this? It's interesting that a lot of your career is sort of opposed to this essay. So I'm just going to close it out with. Pete Buttigieg on his endorsement of Bernie Sanders for president. Sanders' positions on many difficult issues are commendable, but his real impact has been as a reaction to the cynical climate which threatens the effectiveness of the democratic system. His energy 
candor, conviction, and ability to bring people together stand against the current of opportunism, moral compromise, and partisanship which runs rampant on the American political scene. He and few others like him have the power to restore principle and leadership in Congress and to win back the faith of a voting public weary and wary of political opportunism. Above all, I commend Bernie Sanders for giving me an answer to those who say American young people see politics as a cesspool of corruption beyond redemption. I have heard that no sensible young person today would want to give his or her life to public service. I can personally assure you this is untrue. Well, that is a resounding endorsement of wow. uh, Bernie Sanders that he wrote when he was 18. Resounding yep. endorsement. Um, yeah, and yeah. Again, He's I th- convinced me. I think it speaks to that, uh, Robert, what you, you were talking about earlier of like, he just wants to be in office. You know, like that's what his evolution yeah. has sort of happened. Um, again, very much the- like the politician. <laughs> Oh, (laughs) there's like an aspect of that that's like that's defensible, because obviously if you don't win office, you can't do anything. And so I I am on that side of it's like it's better to have a moderate Democrat in there than a a literal fascist, because you can push the moderate Democrat. Yeah, absolutely. Right. That's why. At the same time, I've lived through the last 20 years and I watched a guy, Barack Obama, who was kind of similar in some ways to Buttigieg, but actually took more stances when he was running for yeah, president oh, and yeah, was much did. further to the left and still ran right to the center, even the center right, when he actually got into office. And so I'm looking at Buttigieg and I'm going, number one, the fact that Barack Obama ran to the center allowed the Republicans to push this country even further to the right yeah. by 2016. And number two, uh, if Buttigieg won't even go as far as Obama did in 2008 to the left, like we're just going to get pushed yeah, by the time that? if he wins by 2020, by 2024, we'll be even further right. Like exactly. it, we can't survive that. It's hard yeah. because I I do understand it's hard to get your liberal shit done yeah. when we've got so many conservatives in, in the Senate and Congress. I understand that, but it if there's something that we need to have learned from mm. the past again, 20 years, it's that you have to be bolder and more aggressive, that you can't just be like a mealy, uh, wishy-washy Democrat. Yeah. You have to yeah. be bold and you have to fight really hard. And I don't obviously see that in P. Right. And I think that there's a um, the, uh, another lesson from 2016 aside from that is uh, that um, above all else, uh, even though he lives in a literal golden tower – um, there's a very large anti-establishment sentiment that is driving politics these days. And everything Pete says and his entire career um, is that. Uh, his time at McKinsey and Company has uh, taught him how to be that and talk like that and talk like somebody that you can't really trust. Yeah, he sounds like a part of the establishment. There's a deep hunger for authenticity and hunger for a politician who's going to like take a stance like Pete Pete knows this. He to knows some this he, quote, because he, he... he quotes JFK constantly. JFK didn't get up there and say, "We choose to go to the moon or wherever." Like, right, it, right. Like, he, <laughs> yeah, like there was a there was a bold and risky and and uh, daring stance, which is why we remember JFK. Aside from the getting shot thing, like he was a guy who would take a fucking who would call a shot, and it was a far shot. And Pete Buttigieg is a bunter. Yes. But also, Pete called his shot a year ago and was very clear about about that. And then he, over time, was like, ah, I'll just bunt a little bit. Um, and now mm-hmm. we get things like 
I think it could very well be the long run destination right. and having a glide path to this thing that we actually want. Yeah, the Republicans didn't glide into putting people in camps. They just went for it. And now there's yeah, people in camps. Yeah, they parachuted in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. They dropped in there. I'm like, well, now they're in camps. Well, I guess we've been putting people yeah. in camps for a while. Also yeah. true. And Yes, but, yes, yes, yes. But they but, sure parachuted it into ramping that up. Yeah. All right. Well, it's time for us to wrap this up. Uh, thanks again, Cody, for doing all that. Um, if you guys would like, and I'd like you to like to do this, uh, check us out online, social media, at Worst Year Pod, you know, on the Twitter and the Instagram. Um, I'm Katie Stoll, online and in life. I'm Cody Johnston. That's... And... Wait. I'm Shit. Robert Evans. You can find me. I write okay. And you can find my friend Cody Johnston at Dr. Mr. Cody. Okay. Well, you guys took care of that very well. Mm-hmm. It's really weird when you call somebody a dweeb and then you guys do that. <laughs> Unbelievable. I mean, it's more yeah. interesting if we did that bit because I'm very clearly not there, a man. But, yeah. hey, you know. worst year ever. All right. There's All right. so many oh. pictures of us holding <laughs> rifles wrong in the desert, too. I know. It's, it's we're, we're we're all we're all Mayor Pete, and Mayor Pete is America, mm-hmm. and that's the message of this episode. Thanks for listening. I'm Mayor Pete, and I approve this episode. And Bernie Sanders. <laughs> <laughs> Worst Year Ever is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was wounded! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.